Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website www.exchangechurch.org.au. Great. Thanks, Sam. That was a great leading with uh, Jess and Jack. Thanks very much, guys, for uh, leading us with worship there and encouraging us. Uh, fantastic to use our gifts and our abilities to come and to worship our great God and Saviour and the Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome to Exchange Church, our live stream today for this beautiful sunny day in August. Spring is only just around the corner and uh, we're looking forward to some bright days ahead. And today's a great bright day as well because we get to celebrate Christ and celebrate the gospel and that is what Exchange Church is all about. It's all about connecting people to Jesus and growing people in Christ. And with that in mind, I heard this great line in a song the other day. I'm not going to sing it because the moment I sing it, all of our views will probably drop off, but I'm not going to sing But here's what the line says. It says this, I'm a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody who saved my soul. Now you might know that from Casting Crowns. I'm a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody who saved my soul. That's who I am. I'm a nobody, but I'm trying to tell everybody about somebody who saved my soul, and that is Jesus Christ. And I gladly give him all the glory in whatever we do here at Exchange, because we want to see people come and know Christ as their Lord and Saviour, to experience his peace, joy, and righteousness, and to know a glorious creator who's rescued us and saved us. If you're here for the first time, as in online for the first time, we are so glad and so grateful you're here. Uh, We would love to connect with you. Please, if you could, uh, drop us a line on the email, info at exchangechurch.org.au. If you could connect with us here, we'd love to meet you via that and uh, say hello, hear your story, and uh, perhaps get to meet you maybe face-to-face, walking around the lake doing some exercise together or something like that. If you wanted to touch base with us in that way, that would be terrific. Just a few things to let you know what's happening uh, with Exchange. Uh, perhaps you've been watching for a little while now and you're sort of thinking, well, who is this Jesus? Who is, what is the gospel? What is this all about? You might be thinking, well, what's my next step that I take here to sort of get to know uh, this church a bit better and also, more importantly, know Jesus a bit better? Well, the next step is a Life Explored course, which we've got running uh, starting on this Wednesday, September the 2nd. Uh, I'm going to get Dan just to throw up a video now. If you could do that, Dan, that'll show a bit more, and then I'll talk a bit after that. Thanks, Dan.
Good, thanks, Dan. Uh, that's a great study to do. It's about six weeks or so, and it really just explores um, the gospel, explores what the greatest gift in this life you could ever receive, and we believe that is the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you're interested, again, contact us on the email so we can uh, make sure we've got a spot for you. It's going to be done on Zoom, so it won't be obviously in person as we can't do that for the current restrictions, but it works really, really well on Zoom as well. So if you're interested, please, uh, please do that. Uh, also, one other thing I need to let you know about, or a couple of other things actually, uh, we have our corporate prayer on this afternoon. Now, I forgot to include the link with that on the Friday email that we sent out with Catherine, so my apologies for that, but the link went out last night, so check your inboxes there for the Zoom link for our corporate prayer meeting on this afternoon at 5pm. Uh, if you didn't get an email and you want one, please uh, in email again at the info address and I'll gladly send that link out to you so you can join with us for corporate prayer this afternoon at 5pm. Also this week, um, for all those who have your mailing addresses on the church database, we've sent out an encouragement pack uh, by the post this week uh, and in that you'll find some kindness cards that we can share around with some of our neighbours and uh, some invite cards as well to come and watch us online. So uh, we'd love to take hold of those cards and just uh, up and down your street and drop one in the letterbox and uh, show some kindness in that way. So look for that in the post coming this week as you uh, check your mail from the uh, Australia Post. Okay, now one other thing we love to do at Exchange and that is to pray. We love to come before a sovereign Lord who uh, delights in our prayers because of Christ and what he's done for us. And one of the things we're going to pray for today is open doors. And again, I'm going to get uh, Dan just to throw up an open doors uh, video for us, just thanking us for our support and what it's doing overseas. So Dan, if you could just throw that up for us now as well, that would be great. Hi church, it's Ali from Open Doors. I just wanted to say a huge thank you for your partnership and support of the persecuted church. We're so grateful for you and your sacrifice as you strengthen the global body of Christ and spread the good news of Jesus around the world. During this global pandemic, our local partners are working at the front lines in over 70 countries, coming alongside the local church in areas where it is the hardest to follow Jesus. Already isolated and oppressed persecuted Christians face increased risk during this difficult time, as they are often the last to receive access to basic needs such as food and medication. As a ministry, we've been able to respond to the needs in so many different ways. We've seen 18,508 families, that's close to 125,000 individuals that receive food packages during this time, allowing the Christian presence to remain in places where followers of Jesus pay an incredible price for their faith. Your corporate and individual support means so much to our persecuted brothers and sisters and enables them to continue to shine the hope and love of Jesus in the darkest places in the midst of this global pandemic. We're so grateful for your support and are praying for you as you navigate this season, both individually and as a church family. We're in this together with you guys. God bless. Thanks, Ellie. Thanks. Uh, she's a representative there from Open Doors, just sending us a video to thank us for the support we give them. And we are glad to support Open Doors here at Exchange Church. That I've had the privilege to be on a trip with those guys into persecuted countries. Uh, and it is just a joy to be with brothers and sisters in Christ who are, who are following Jesus in difficult lands. Uh, just to see their strength of faith is a real encouragement. 
but at the same time they do go through difficult times. So we want to spend a little bit of time praying uh, for open doors right now. So please just join with me as we pray for them. Father, we uh, come before you this morning to thank you again that we're able to gather here in the safety and the comfort of Australia today, enjoying, Lord, uh, peace and quiet and able to worship you together, able to fellowship together in the gospel and able to do this freely in this land. But Father, we know that there are other believers, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ in other lands that can't do this freely. Lord, they, when they meet, they run the risk of being stopped by police to be interrogated. They run the risk of being stopped by police and put in prison, Lord, because they're going to meet as believers in a church or meet as believers, Lord, in somebody's house. Now, Father, we know today that there'll be some believers in parts of the world who will lose their life today simply because they're following Jesus Christ. Father, we know some, in some parts of the world today there'll be, there will be believers Lord, who will lose all of their possessions today simply for following Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for the ministry of Open Doors that reaches out to these persecuted believers secretly behind closed doors, behind uh, the lines of country, Father, where it's difficult for any person just to get in there. But Open Doors have found ways to get in, Lord, and support these countries and support these believers in those countries. So God, today we want to pray, please continue to bless the ministry of Open Doors as they reach out to uh, pray for, encourage and help the gospel to grow in those difficult countries where it's not free for the gospel to be proclaimed by these believers. I'm encouraged, Lord, by their desire and fervency within these countries to want to share and witness about their faith, Lord. So Lord, today I pray, please grant them great courage. Please grant them love. And faith, Lord, and hope in the midst of challenge and trial. And Lord, I pray that you'll continue to grow your church, grow your kingdom in those countries, Lord. And they will see uh, many people come to Christ. Father, today I pray, help us to understand that these are our brothers and sisters in Christ. We may be separated, Lord, by thousands of kilometers, but in Christ we are one person. So today, Lord, I pray, strengthen our brothers, strengthen our sisters, continue to give wisdom to open doors, Lord, as they uh, plan projects and put things in place to help grow and strengthen the body of Christ in these persecuted countries. Father, we thank you for them now, and uh, we ask and pray this in Jesus' mighty and precious name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Again, as we've gathered today, we, we now move to the next part of our service here, part of our live stream, uh, which we consider to be a very important part of our service as we open up God's Word to worship Him and to magnify and glorify Christ in and through that. And uh, we've just finished a series on Colossians just a few weeks ago, or last week actually, and uh, we're starting a new series today. It's on the book of Genesis. Let me get back to the right page. There we are. So, uh, as I set the scene today for us going to the book of Genesis, I'll talk a bit more about Genesis in a moment, but just to set the scene here for us as we go into Genesis, uh, trust is a wonderful and a powerful thing. Uh, when you can trust someone, it gives you peace of mind. It gives you confidence when you can trust someone. Years ago on our orchard, uh, we used to finish working in the workshop of a after, late afternoon or early evening uh, and we'd leave the doors wide open. We'd actually just put down the angle grinder or the welder or the drill or whatever we had in our hands, the tools, whatever. We'd just put them down on the floor or the bench, probably more often on the floor than the bench. We'd walk out, go back into, into home, have some tea, go to bed, get up the next morning, come back out, pick up our tools and just go back to work again. 
Well, that was until one night, someone decided they wanted our tools more than we wanted our tools. In other words, a thief came in and took a lot of our tools. They went missing. Trust was broken. We could never leave the workshop unlocked again. Confidence and peace of mind when we went to sleep that night was totally gone then. The doors had to be closed and locked. Trust is a wonderful thing. It's a powerful thing. It builds confidence into our hearts and our lives. God wants us to trust in him, to be confident in him, despite whatever circumstances we are facing, that he is guiding our life for his glory and for our good. He wants us to trust him. We're going to see that today as we go into Genesis. If you've got your Bibles there, please go to Genesis chapter 26. And uh, we're going to read from verses 1 through to 16. Genesis 26, verses 1 through to 16. Read with me. Verse 1. Now there was a famine in the land besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt and dwell. Dwell there in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes and my laws. So Isaac settled in Gerar. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, She's my sister. For he feared to say my wife, thinking, Lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. When he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, she is your wife. How then could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, Because I thought lest I die because of her. Abimelech said, What is this you've done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people, saying, Whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. And Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him, and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants, so that the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father. And Abimelech said to him, Isaac that is, go away from us. For you are much mightier than we. Let's pray. Father, we uh, come before you this morning as we open up this uh, beautiful book of Genesis. Lord, this uh, first book of the Bible, this book of beginnings. We ask and pray, Lord, as we start uh, this series here in Genesis, you will open up our hearts to see uh, what a glorious creator you are. Lord, setting the foundations in place for understanding who you are, who we are, how we failed you. But how now you rescue us and you restore us. Uh, So Lord, I pray, please let your spirit come and work deeply in our hearts today. As we begin to think through Genesis and we see your faithfulness, Lord, uh, shone towards us uh, time after time 
even when we fail you. God, we ask for your help now in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we do start a new series today, but a bit unusually, uh, we're starting at halfway through a book. When we started Colossians a few months ago, we started right in the first chapter and the first verse. But a bit unusual this time for Genesis. I actually preached from Genesis about six years ago and uh, stopped at the death of Abraham, which is the chapter before chapter 26, chapter 25, and uh, finished it up there. Uh, So now we're going to pick up from where we finished six years ago and follow it through until the end of uh, chapter 50 to the end of the book. The word Genesis means beginnings. Beginnings. So we say book that is all about beginnings. It's the beginning of creation. It's the beginning of humanity. And it's the beginning of God's salvation plan as well. Uh, There's one thing that hasn't begun in Genesis though. That's God. God just simply is. God has no beginning and God has no end. God is eternal. God is way outside of our comprehension and we can't fit God into the box of our mind. Some may say, though, do we need to read the Old Testament? Because it seems so hard to understand. Like, I've got no idea what's going on with it when I sort of just jump into a book somewhere. I can't really find myself in there. I can't seem to make any sense out of that. Well, can you imagine if the Bible started at the book of Exodus, the very next book after Genesis, with the Israelite people leaving Egypt? Can you imagine if the Bible started there without Genesis? We'd immediately ask ourselves, well, who are these people leaving Egypt? How do they get there? And who's Egypt anyway? You see, something like Genesis provides us key foundations that help fill out the picture of who God is And who we are. Genesis tells us all about the beginnings of humanity. A question this world is striving for answers for. It's found in the very first chapters of Genesis. Who we are. Also tells us about humanity's troubles. And and how we've got the world we've got now. With all of its trouble and strife. Genesis also tells us about God's rescue plan. For a fallen and rebellious humanity as well. Genesis also provides the foundations for a glorious picture of God's grace in sending his only son to ultimately provide rescue for us. We see all of that in Genesis. And it's really important to understand the Bible when we read this, that the Bible is all one story. From Genesis chapter 1 through to Revelation 22, it's actually one story. Now there's a whole bunch of stories within the Bible, there's hundreds and hundreds of them, But all of them contribute to one grand, as it were, overarching narrative that covers the Bible. It's one story about the splendor of God and his glory. Genesis 26 with Isaac here contributes to this grand story. Isaac in Genesis 26 isn't an isolated story that sits out on its own with no connection at all to the rest of the Bible. It's integrally connected here with the whole grand story of the Bible. Isaac is the son of Abraham, one of the Israelite patriarchs. You'll often hear about it if you read through the, uh, the Old Testament. It'll be Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. So Isaac, he plays a pivotal role here in the history of Israel. He's one of the Israelite patriarchs. And as we find him here in this story, in chapter 26 today, in the Bible at this point, what we find is that Abraham, his father, has just died. He's been buried by Isaac and Ishmael, another son that Abraham had as well. 
That's just occurred in, in chapter 25. Now, because of drought, and drought is very common there in that land, Isaac wants to move on to greener pastures to uh, feed his flocks of uh, sheep and cattle. So as we think about that backdrop today, and we think about Genesis 26, here's where we're going to go with our big idea, and it's this. God is a faithful and gracious God who can be trusted and that gives us what we don't deserve. God is a faithful and gracious God who can be trusted and gives us what we don't deserve. Let's look at the first picture here that we see in Genesis 26. And what it is, it is the faithfulness of God. It is God carrying out his plans of salvation here. Now, what helps us to actually pick this up here and understand God's plan of salvation is the context of what God did for Abraham, Isaac's father. And we actually see that, this plan of salvation, as it were, outlaid in Genesis chapter 12. So we're going to go now to Genesis 12, 1 to 3, and see here what God said to Abraham. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonours you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The pick up here is this, God is plucked Abraham, as it were, out of, of obscurity to become the father of a nation. And through this nation will come a person who will defeat sin and Satan with all of its destruction in our lives. We see that in the very early parts there of Genesis, Genesis 1 and 2 and 3. All Christians, all believers are right there in verse 3 where it says, In you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In you... All the families of the earth shall be blessed. We're actually found in there. Uh, these are some of the opening scenes here of God's salvation story as we think about Abraham here just for a moment. Abraham is childless at this stage. His wife, Sarah, is barren. God miraculously intervenes and Sarah gives birth to Isaac when Sarah is about 90 years old. Now, I don't know of too many women who give birth to babies at 90 years old. This is a supernatural miracle of God. The promised nation that God's promise to, uh, to Abraham is now coming through Abraham and then now on to Isaac. With that backdrop now, let's go forward a bit and see where God reused this same promise with Isaac. Look now in, verse, in, in Genesis 26, verses 3 and 4, and he says a very similar thing. Sojourn in this land and I will be with you and bless you, for to you and your offspring I will give all these lands. And I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. There's a glorious picture of God. He's faithful to his promises. It's the same promise that God gave to his father, Isaac. Isaac, an offspring will come from you that shall be a blessing to all the nations. What is God? God is a God of promise. God is faithful. God doesn't say one thing and then go do something totally different to what he said. God's totally dependable. And God's absolutely on track with his promises here to rescue and redeem sinful, rebellious humanity. We're actually seeing that work out now through God's faithfulness. You see, God is a God of covenant. 
God is a God of agreement with his creation. He will not let us down. God is someone that we can put our trust in. He remains faithful to his word. He doesn't change. But though with this, we see what's happened here is a new generation is emerging through Isaac. So God's giving these promises now afresh to Isaac. This new generation, as it were, must now believe these same promises and live up to the responsibilities of God's promises as well. This is so, so important. You see, Isaac, Abraham's son, can't live on the faith of his father Abraham. Isaac can't move forward into life by his father's obedience to God. Isaac himself must must now encounter God for himself. There's a new generation that's coming through now. Really, really important here. And this is where we're seeing Isaac, as it were, come to the fore. Uh, In verses 6 to 10, uh, what we see here is a test that comes upon Isaac. A famine has come on the land and Isaac has decided to go to Egypt to find pasture for his animals. Sounds like a good idea. But on the way there, God tells him to stay right where he is. He stopped him sort of mid-travelling and he said, settle in Gerar with the Philistines. So as Isaac sets up camp and sorts out the cattle and puts a few over there and a few there and rounds them all up and so they can't escape, the men of Gerar come out and they ask about his wife Rebekah. And we're told in verse 7, she's beautiful in appearance. These guys come out thinking, well, there's a new girl in town. We want to know if she's available for us. We want to get to know her. Maybe she could be a future prospect for marriage for these men of Gerar. What will Isaac do? He's a new generation. He's emerging with his own faith. Think about where Isaac comes from at this point. He's just had a marvellous revelation from God that tells Isaac, I'm with you to fulfil my promise of a great nation that will come from you. Now I'd imagine at that particular point in time, he's just had this word from God, his faith should be riding high, shouldn't it? He's in what you might call a mountaintop experience. He's just heard from God. Stay in this country. So how's he going to respond to these men of Gerar as they come out and they want to know about his wife? Well, we see it here in verses 6 and 7 of 26. Look with me. So Isaac settled in Gerar. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, She's my sister. For he feared to say, My wife, thinking, lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. What sort of response is that towards God's promise from Isaac? He's just come from mountaintop experience, and God's with him. And what's it say there? Fear. What sort of response is that? That's a fail. That's a fail with a capital F. That is not a pass, that is a fail. That is not faith in God's word. That's cowering in fear towards man. And right in the middle of verse 7 you see it there. It says, for he feared to say. Fear was gripping Isaac's heart. And fear is the opposite of faith. Fear is saying, I don't believe you can get me through this trial, God. So I'd better take things back into my own hands now. I don't think you can get me through this. I'm fearful about this, Lord. Isaac's thinking perhaps like this. Even though you've given me this promise, God, I don't think that's going to hold with these men of Gerar. They're going to kill me and they're going to take my wife. They're the thoughts rolling around his mind. But you might say, hang on, Isaac. Didn't God just say 
He's going to make a nation come from you? Yeah, but these guys are huge. I'm, I'm no match against them. But Isaac, what about God? Didn't he say he'll look after you? Oh, I'm not sure of God this time. These guys are big. You see, faith in God should have had Isaac moving to Gerar with the Philistines and confidently telling those men, she's my wife. She's my wife. You see, faith reckons, believes that God fulfills his promises. And when faith believes that, faith then risks by going against what the immediate circumstances might be telling me or saying to me, faith risks against that, even though these guys look really big at Gerar and there's lots of them, because of the confidence and the belief that I have in God, I'm happy to risk my life on God's promises by willing obedience to his word. Faith reckons and then faith risks. You see, Isaac can't live on his father's faith here. He can't call back on his father Abraham. He must now move forward in his own faith, experiencing God's power and peace for himself. But as we see, Isaac didn't. He failed miserably at the very first test after hearing God's promise. He feared what might happen to him, so he bailed out on God. You see, fear is a destructive thing. Fear is a product of our sinful rejection of God. You see, when Adam and Eve sinned against God in the garden, their first response when God came to see them was to hide in fear, to run away from God. You see, faith trusts that God can. Fear believes that God can't. Faith trusts that God can. Fear believes that God can't. So if we think about Isaac here, do we ask ourselves this? Are God's salvation plans up in smoke? Has Isaac broken the whole story? Will God now abandon Isaac and move on to someone else? What do we see as we follow on in this life of Isaac? No, God's plans haven't gone up in smoke with Isaac's failure. This is a beautiful picture of the way God deals with us. You see, God works with failures and flawed people just like Isaac, just like me, and just like you. This is something that is echoed right throughout the Bible. God takes broken, flawed people and he graciously blesses them with a privilege of experiencing salvation and also taking part in his salvation plans being outworked right throughout the earth. Broken, flawed failures is what God works with. That's a beautiful picture of God's grace in that. Let's look here how God responds to Isaac in verses 8 and 11. Uh, we see there that Abimelech sees Isaac being affectionate with his wife, Rebecca. You might read there in the ESV. It says uh, Isaac laughed with her. It's just a, a Hebrew word for intimacy. Obviously, Abimelech's looking and saying, that is not your sister. You would not do that to your sister, whatever you did. Uh, he sees that, and then Abimelech orders that no one touches Isaac and Rebecca. What has God done there? Despite Isaac's failure, God has saved Isaac and his marriage at that time. Then in verses 12 to 22, 
uh, we see God abundantly blessing Isaac as well. Uh, Firstly, in verse 12, Isaac plants crops that are just bumper yields. They are one out of the box. It says there that he harvested a 100% increase on his sowing. Now that is massive. I'm sure Tim and Neville would love to see that on their farm is a 100% increase on the sowing of their seed. Uh, Isaac's uh, flocks and herds are going gangbusters as well. Uh, Verse 13 says he's very, very wealthy, abundantly blessed. Follow that on now into verses 14 and 16. Uh, Isaac's wealth has made the men of Gerar very jealous of him at this time. Abimelech tells Isaac, move on. We've had enough of your prosperity. You're making us look shameful around here. Move on. Uh, Verses 17 to 22, which I didn't write, I didn't read, but it says this. As he does move on, he discovers his father's old wells as he moves out into sort of other pasture lands. And he gets these wells flowing with water again to water his flocks with. And each time he gets a well going here uh, out in these uh, plains, the herdsmen of Gerar come along and they say, move on, and they steal Isaac's well. This happens twice. And then finally in verse 22, Isaac digs another well. He gets this flowing and he can keep that one. So as we think about that there, what's happened in that bunch of verses in the response here to Isaac's failure? Isaac is being tested again. He's facing a lot of opposition. He's been testing, will he trust in God again this time? Because with bitter jealousy, the Philistines ask him to shove off from their city. And then when he does shove off and move out to the plains, the herdsmen in the plains are continually harassing him and stealing his wells. Isaac's facing continual opposition here. But what's God doing through all this as Isaac's going through that? God's demonstrating his willingness to bless Isaac despite his failures, despite his massive failure when he first arrived in Gerar. God's demonstrating his faithfulness to his covenant promise that he first made to Abraham and now to Isaac, and that despite their failures, because both Abraham and Isaac did fail in the same way. They both said that their wife is their sister. You can read that earlier on in Genesis as well. Isaac has failed. And he doesn't deserve anything from God in the natural sense. But just look at how God responds to Isaac here after this failure and this opposition that he's just received from the herdsmen and the people of Abimelech. It reads there in Genesis 26, 23, 24. Look with me. From there he went to Bathsheba and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not. For I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. That's a beautiful picture there. That's a glorious picture. That's a picture of the gospel. Given all the failure that Isaac has just said, uh, just experienced before God, God says there, fear not. For I am with you. God says, I know you failed. But fear not, for I am with you and will bless you. That's the gospel right there. You see, Isaac is receiving what he doesn't deserve. He doesn't deserve any of those things that God's given to him. God is a God of grace and forgiveness. Now, God hasn't overlooked Isaac's sinful lack of faith and his fear there. You see, when Isaac failed... 
the true and better Isaac, Jesus Christ, prevailed on Isaac's behalf and our behalf. You see, Jesus never failed to obey God's word. He trusted the Father all the way to Calvary, never caring to fear and never failing. And you see, all of our fearful failures before a faithful God have earned us only one thing. God's right and true justice for rejecting him, for not trusting him. But because of Jesus, God has given us what we don't deserve. But because of Jesus, God has given us what we don't deserve. This is who God is. He's our holy and our gracious creator, a loving God. And if we think about it and are honest with ourselves, every one of us can find ourselves in Isaac. We can see ourselves in him. We failed God. We haven't trusted him in perhaps a million ways. We've let God down. We've turned our back on him. We don't believe that God has sent his son, for some people might think like that, to rescue us. We sort of think we can rescue ourselves. We don't believe what God's done for us. We sort of think if I just try hard enough and do enough good things, you know, that somehow I'll impress God in that way and I'll earn my own rescue. You know, if I just turn over a new leaf and try and live a better life now, they'll somehow I'll actually get on God's good books and write my name in these good books because of what I've done, not trusting in who Jesus is and what he's done for me. We think we can earn God's favour and grace. We fail God there because that'll never work. We'll never be good enough for God because we can't do it. Only Jesus has done that. Or if I am trusting in Christ and when I do fail, I think somehow I've got to make it up to God now for all the failures I've done to win back his love. We can think like that. Maybe we've failed to make a stand for Jesus in a witnessing opportunity. Maybe we were right there in a conversation. We had a chance to speak up. Maybe someone said, hey, Todd, what are you doing on Sunday? And oh, I'm going to church, but that thought flashes through my mind. But if I say I'm going to church, I might look really sort of, you know, dorky in front of these guys. And I sort of wimp out and say, oh, yeah, I'm just going to go for a drive Sunday Arvo and don't even mention about going to church. We fail. That happens real quick and real easy. Sometimes we do that and think, if I can just do something else, I'll try and make that up towards God again. I'll somehow try and get God to love me again because I'll do some good things. We don't do anything to earn God's love. It's given to us through Christ. You see, God gives us what we don't deserve. God gives us what we don't deserve. And we'll only see that from a transformed heart that's truly seen who God is and what he's done for us. Let's look here at how Isaac responded now with a transformed heart in verse 25 beyond all these tests and trials that he's been through. Read with me there in verse 25. He says this, So Isaac built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there, and there Isaac's servants dug a well. Do you see what's happened here? Isaac has got a clear view of God now with a transformed heart. He's experienced God's goodness. He's seen the truth of who God is. And he says now, he calls upon the name of the Lord. Now in the Old Testament, that is like a genuine calling out of acknowledging who God is. It's a heart cry. 
that is beginning to now see who God is. You see, when we fail, just like Isaac, we can simply come back to God, admit our failure, and as it were, get back on track with Christ, looking not to fail again. And you know what? God gladly receives us with his open arms. Maybe right now, you're feeling failure. Maybe right now, you're thinking back to what's happened this week, and you're saying, I failed. I have failed big time. You thought Isaac was bad? You haven't seen my life. Maybe that's what you're thinking right now. We don't live in our failure. We don't live in all the things that we've done wrong. Sure, we learn from it. We're sorry for it. But we bring it to Christ. And what do we do? We lay it down at his feet. And what do we receive? We receive what we don't deserve. We receive his love and his forgiveness. We don't live in the failure. We live in the grace and the mercy of God. And that's what we see here today. That God is faithful. And he gives us what we don't deserve in Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you today that we're able to come and begin this uh, journey in the second half of the book of Genesis. Father, we are going to see a whole range of stories of people, flawed and failures. But God, what we're going to see is you outworking your salvation plan and calling people to yourself and saving failures and flawed people, Lord. Bringing them into your kingdom. Bringing them, Father, to know your love, your joy, your peace and your forgiveness. So, Father, I ask and pray now today, even as we start this book, even as today people are finding themselves in Isaac right now, thinking of all the failure that's happened in their life this week, God, I pray that they would come, confess that failure, admit that failure, Lord, admit that sinfulness, lay it down at the foot of the cross, lay it down at the feet of Jesus Christ, not to live in that failure, to learn from that failure, though, but to live in the grace and the forgiveness that God gives to us. Lord, please open this up into our hearts now as we journey through the rest of Genesis over these next uh, couple of months. Father, today we ask and we pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Because we are now going to uh, move uh, to the communion table. So if you've got your elements there in your homes, uh, we would ask you just to be ready for those. Again, we just want to remind you, as we come to the Lord's table, this is a very important uh, celebration for practicing believers of Christ. Only for those who are trusting fully in Jesus only, we would love for you, if you've uh, got some, something prepared there, to come and join with us. Uh, if you are not yet trusting in Jesus, uh, we would love for you to observe what we are about to do over these next few moments. But please don't participate. This is reserved for faithful followers of Jesus only. How is it? How is it that, can Jesus, uh, that Jesus can forgive our sin and our failures? Well, we see that demonstrated here in the, the, uh, the communion table. Jesus said in one of his last sayings at the cross in John 19.30, he said, It is finished. Very telling words, very powerful words, very powerful climactic words to the life of what Christ has achieved and is now achieving at the cross. 
Now we sung a hymn a couple of weeks ago and I think this is really well picked up in a verse from this hymn. Uh, the hymn is, It is well with my soul. And the verse I want to read is, a ver- is the verse I read this week as I was reading a book. And it really picks up here this, this picture of failure. And the verse is this, My sin, or you could say my failure, my sin or failure, oh the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part, not just some, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh my soul. All of our failures have been laid on Jesus. That verse picks it up so well. Jesus said it is finished. Horatio Spafford, who wrote this song, he picks up and says, not, not my sin in part, but my sin in whole. Now, as we take these elements... This is what we are celebrating today. We are celebrating that all of my failure, all of my sin was taken by Christ so that he picks me up as a failure and flawed person and now gives me a whole new identity in Christ, created and renewed in him. All possible because of the the broken body of Christ and the shed blood of Christ where that whole sinful transaction took place, that my sin is placed on Christ And his righteousness is given to me. And Jesus said, it is finished. So today, let's take this cracker down. Representing God's body, uh, Jesus' body that was broken on our behalf. So that all of our failures and flaws could be done away with. Let's eat. And again, as we hold the cup, the cup represents the shed blood of Christ. God demanded, rightfully demanded, that the soul who sins shall die. The penalty and the wages of sin is death. Jesus paid that death on our behalf. Because he died, we will not die. We will live forevermore with him. Take this cup again, remembering that all of our failures were done away with by Christ at the cross and the blood that he shed. Drink now as we celebrate that. Lord, we thank you and we praise you today as we come and uh, look at the life of Isaac and now bring that centrally focused around the death of Christ at the cross. This is the centre of the gospel, Lord. It is the death of Jesus Christ, the glory of God, his love and grace demonstrated through this willing sacrifice, his justice and his holiness carried out in perfection. Nothing was left undone. So Lord, today I pray, as we think this week of perhaps all the failures that are dogging our minds, let us bring that back to the cross, where it was all done and dusted, where it was finished in the finished work of Christ. So Lord, I pray, let that work in our hearts deep now as we celebrate that together. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys. Thanks for being with us. The music team is about to come back and that's set up for the last couple of songs. Uh, if you want to, if you have any questions or would love to connect with us, uh, we would love you to do that. Please do that via the email, info at exchangechurch.org.au and uh, we will gladly connect with you there. So I'm going to hand back to Sam and the team now as that we set up. Thank you. 
We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au. Also, we love to welcome new people to Exchange Church in person, so consider yourself invited to be with us.